there, folks, and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute, housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University, Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian German, Associate Professor of Theology here at the university and the Director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis, Christianity in Genesis, more specifically. Where do we see the person and work of Christ, and by extension, our life in him? Just so happens, I'm looking at this number here, episode 450. Wow, Uh, makes me wonder what we should do for our 500th episode. We'll see. Lord willing, we'll get there, and what will that be? Another year from now, but... It's a lot of episodes. Nonetheless, here we go. Um, Genesis chapter 27, we just finished with Isaac. Again, we've talked about Isaac being, oh, at first a little more on the passive side, which is itself kind of a rich reflection of the life of the church. We, Our Lord speaks. We listen to that. We receive his gifts. We're not bringing much to the table, are we? And yet, in the last chapter, Isaac... Um, He's got an active side as well. He fights for the for the wells. He fights for the baptism. He fights for the... Not every pastor is the same. We talked about this a little bit. Um, Isaac shows a particular strength fighting for the marks of the church. And that's just how um, our Lord raises up the ministry. Um, not everybody's the same preacher, teacher, and so on. Um, in Isaac, you get this strong defense of the marks of the church. And uh, we talked about that a little bit uh, last time. Here we're going to see Isaac. We don't get a ton of Isaac here in Genesis. Um, Right away in chapter 27 here, he's old, and he's close to death when he does this blessing of Jacob and Esau. And uh, that also is not everybody has a huge run. I mean, I think in, in terms of the ministry, you have this, here's a pastor for 55 years and same place or whatever the case is, you know, these kind of these stories. Um, and then, you know, you might get a second career pastor, third career pastor who's, you know, he has five years in the ministry. I may, I, maybe the story isn't quite as long, but and yet the Lord in his infinite wisdom raises up his clergy and works through them, called and ordained servants uh, to preach and teach and administer his sacraments in his stead and by his command. So here Isaac is old. Chapter 27, this is another one of these longer chapters. We're not going to take a close look at every verse, but we can kind of get a sense of what's going on here. This is the blessing of Jacob and Esau. It's probably pretty popular. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, the the brothers, even before in chapter 25, Jacob uh, and Esau, Esau sells the birthright and the pottage, the stew. Uh, Probably pretty well known here. Anytime you get, I guess one main point here that overarches this chapter that you should keep in mind is anytime you get the brother, the brother brother uh, juxtaposition, the brotherly pairing, um, Isaac and Ishmael, we've had Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, be on the lookout for the true church, the false church. Salvation by faith, salvation by works, the seed of the woman, the seed of the serpent, true sonship, false sonship, true parenting, false parenting. There's going to be a big, uh, there's this dichotomous dynamic going on in Genesis. That's because there's no third path. There's no neutral place. I mean, we live in a 
culture of safe spaces or whatever the case. It's this or that. It's the way of life or the way of death. And that's a very Bible thing. You get to all the way to the end of Revelation, it's it's either this or that. I mean, there is no third option. There's no neutral option. And so also with all this brotherly stuff in Genesis, and yet they are still brothers, and the Lord knows how to graft in the unselected brother immediately and and all the same. So be on the lookout for those things. Where do we see all of that? True church, false church, and so on. That's going to be, that's kind of at the core of it. I, I'm drawing here a lot on Luther here. So Isaac is old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see. Remember the senses in Genesis. Huge deal. Eve sees that it's a delight to the eyes. Okay, so right away, we're being queued up here. Isaac is old. His eyes are dim so that he could not see. I mean, you could just say eyes are dim, but his eyes are dim so that they that he could not see. So eyesight is, is dwindling here. Eyesight is not primary. Okay, keep that in mind. He calls Esau his older son. Notice, wait a minute, I know he's older, but didn't he sell the birthright, and now that belongs to Jacob? We notice there the birthright, such a special thing with God's people, a birthright. Israel has a birthright. Israel, my firstborn son, Pharaoh, let him go. Israel has a birthright. Well, the pastors, the Levites, they also have a special birthright, a ministerial birthright. I've set apart the Levites as my firstborn son. They have a special birthright, a ministerial birthright to me. Well, Isaac here is uh, calling Esau his older son, my son. And he answered, here I am. Isn't this, oh, what a flashback to Abe and Isaac. Flashback a generation. Um, Abraham, here I am. Go sacrifice your son, Isaac. And then Isaac, where are you? Here I am. Right now, Isaac's the one saying to his son, my son, here I am. So you have this, like, there is a continuity still. The good faith is being passed along. The kinds of relationships that we should have, the kinds of ways of speaking of, I mean, God is our Heavenly Father. And just as Abe and Isaac and so on, they call each other by their relationship. You could just say Esau, but he says, my son. Uh, he's defined in terms of the relationship. My son. And... uh and so on, even though we're going to have some problems here with Isaac very shortly, there is this continuity. There is this reflection. We're going to see good and bad reflected. I mean, Jacob's not perfect either, right? So if Esau is kind of like the, oh, he's the false church, as we talked about a little bit, with Cain and so on, well, there will be reflections of the continuity of the true church, even in uh, the words and actions of the false, you might say. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow. Go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Does this all sound familiar to you? Esau was introduced to us as a hunter, one who knows hunting very well. Isaac still prioritizes this, your weapons, your bow, your quiver. Look at all this stuff. Go out to the field and hunt game. 
be the kind of guy that you were in chapter 25 and bring me a meal. Okay, now, it didn't work so well in 25, did it? Esau came up short. He came up empty-handed. It didn't work. It's going to flop. This is your uh, justification by works overtone right here. We talked about this in chapter 25. You can work your tail off and come up empty-handed if that's what you're going to depend on. And so this birthright business, what a blessing it is. And Esau, he comes up empty-handed. What is this birthright to me? Who cares? That's a gift. That's something I didn't work for or earn. Who cares? And so Isaac here reflects this. There's two different ways to go about this. Earn it or receive it as a gift. And so he tells his son, why don't you go earn something for me? And again, it's a meal, right? This is the, he's not relying, what is he? He can't rely on sight, but he is going on taste. He is going on uh, belly. That my soul may bless you before I die. Now that's the kind of, that's one way to go about this. The way of earning things yourself, the way of getting the blessings you want. I mean, that's what makes it a blessing, right? Isn't that ironic? That my, that, get this so I can eat and that I may bless you. I mean, what is a blessing? The Lord gives the blessings to us that he gives. Oh, I'm not happy with those blessings. I want these blessings, and so I'm going to work for them, which I guess doesn't really make them blessings so much, are they? Or it kind of eats into things when it's, well, I get what I deserve, and I'm doing, and I'm working, and that's that's that. Um, a blessing is a blessing. And the more you're choosing and picking and working, the less it is something that the Lord gives as a true blessing. The other approach is Rebecca. And this is something, uh, I mean, we've seen Rebecca act in very pious and faithful ways. Notice Rebecca is listening. We're going to see this, the, the role of hearing going to be big in this as we move along. Rebecca's listening. And so she hears this sermon about the belly and eating and so on. And she then says to Jacob, I heard your father speak. Notice the emphasis on speaking to your brother Esau, repeating the words, bring me game, prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it. Bless you before the Lord before I die. Now obey my obey my voice that I command you. This is like a, I don't know. This is like a uh, when one when the you get to the era of the church where the ministry is not as clean and tidy as it should be, and here's the church uh, responding to that word in ways that um, maybe crisp things up a little bit. I'm reminded of Apollos in the book of Acts where he's preaching and. What is it? Priscilla and Aquila have to take him aside and explain the way more accurately. Isaac preaches the sermon that he does, and it's not tip-top. Sounds like Esau's going to work for stuff. It sounds like um, we got the belly operating a little too centrally. And here, uh, Rebecca, who in, in many ways is is a picture of the church here, says, here's the deal. Go to the flock I mean, this is not, you didn't earn that, right? There's, here, there are the flock that's just right there. Look, there are goats right there. Bring me two young goats. And this is like Day of Atonement stuff. Just get the goats. You don't have to go out and hunt them. You don't have to get your quiver or your bow or all your works and merits and worthiness. They're right there. They've been provided for you. And this, I mean, it's not a coincidence. I think that these are, these are very much Day of Atonement kind of animals. You get two goats, 
you sacrifice the one, you say the sins over the other. I mean, this sounds like there's a better priesthood in Jacob. So he gets these goats, and it's for the sake of the father still. It's not like, well, he's a crazy old man, let's go do our own thing. But she's going to prepare this for your father, such as he loves. This is a better way to get this this craving dealt with. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. There is this kind of language. There's a play, too, on in Leviticus, the Lord, call he consumes the, the offerings, as it were, by means of the fire. Like the burnt offering, when, he, when it's burned up, it, the language is eating. The root is eat or consume. Now, does God actually eat these things? And you get these big discussions. But the point is, that's the language. It's language of eating or consuming. And this is the kind of thing, this is a better ministry. I think, I mean, if I had to kind of summarize what's going on here, you're going to see a better ministry being passed along in uh, in Jacob. You shall bring it to your father to eat. I mean, this is in Leviticus, it's bring to your heavenly father to eat, to consume, so that he may bless you before he dies. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man. And I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bringing a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. This is a fascinating little go here. I mean, Rebecca Rebecca was preached the word about this son. And so she's living by that word. She remembers the Lord's promise. And she acts accordingly, even if it sounds like, oh, man, it's just your own husband, you know, and you're going to deceive him and so on. Um, there's a sense of priority here. It's kind of like it's it it's going to rattle you a little bit. Hey, that's not very nice. It's kind of like the Abe and Sarah thing in chapter 12 or the wife's sister thing. Gosh, don't do that to her. And yet everything revolves around the promise. And we constantly get these temptations. Hey, what about your own wife? And what about... Your goods, fame, child, and wife. You know, what about these things? Do you love these more than than these, more than me? And so here it's kind of like the loyalty question. I know this is your own husband, but we're talking about the Lord's promise that continues to be transmitted throughout the book of Genesis. And so she acts accordingly, and she puts everything on the word. You notice that, I mean, Jacob's like, hey, what if this doesn't work so well? She doesn't even, I mean, she's not even really concerned about that. She just says, obey my voice, stick with the word. You, I stick with the word just as um, I, I stuck with the word with the Lord that he gave to me. So also you stick with my word as I pass that along. It's all about the promise, even if it means we're going to have to kind of critique uh, the, the head bishop, as it were. I mean, even the big bad uh, popes throughout the eras, right, can do some shady things where you have to, you know what, we're going to have to, kind of do a workaround here. We're going to have to get clever. I know he's the Pope. I know he's the Bishop. I know he's the whatever, the president of the whatever, but but the what most central in the church of all ages is this promise. Lots more to say here, but boy, this ministry stuff is, is really strong here. Um, but we're going to have more to say in just a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? 
Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcasts, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast. Alrighty there, folks. We are back with our study of Genesis chapter 7, Isaac blessing Jacob. And this is getting really ministerial, you might say. I just think this is quite fascinating how this language is evocative of the office of the holy ministry. And this is going to come even clearer here in verses 14 and 15. So in many ways, Jacob is is preparing a better sacrifice. He's He's kind of like carrying out the Day of Atonement, as it were. He's bringing it to Holy Mother Church. She prepares delicious food. And then Rebecca takes the best garments, literally in Hebrew, the great garments. I love that stuff because this is the same language that's used for ordination. Rebecca takes the great garments of Esau, her older son. We keep getting this reminder that Esau's the older son. Remember. And she takes the garments, the great garments, the ordination garments, which were with her in the house, in the church, in the house. And she puts them on Jacob, her younger son. I'm kind of drawn here on some ancient, really Jewish interpretation here, reflection on this verse. They saw here very much a a pastoral moment, and I think this is something that runs throughout the whole chapter. You have this kind of distinction, again, between true church, false church. you got like true ministry, false ministry, or ministry of grace versus ministry of works. And then the skins of the young goats she puts on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck, and she puts the delicious food and the bread. Hey, where'd the bread come from? Do you notice that? Um, I love how these, they, they just add the bread in. It's like, I think I mentioned this with with John 21. Um, you just get this, like it's a fishing miracle. All of a sudden, oh, there's the bread, you know. He takes the bread and gives it to I mean, this is, it's very Eucharistic when you do that sort of thing. And, uh, and the same thing, we saw this, by the way, in chapter 25, right? Jacob gives Esau not just the lentil stew, but also the... The bread, like, whoa, why do we keep sneaking in? The Bible likes to pull a fast one on you. It likes to sneak in this bread stuff. And so that's what happens here again. Um, so we have this, the stuff that's in the, the hands. I mean, again, this emphasis on neck and uh, 
hands and boy, this is just the kind of, I don't know, what would you say? Jacob is, is dressed up like a goat. Jacob is like the embodiment of a goat. Um, it's like here, well, you have sheep and goats, right? That's another thing. Matthew 25, the end times, you have sheep and goats. You have, you have sheep and wolves clothing. Here you have a, a sheep in, in wolves clothing, embodying the stuff of the wolf, embodying the stuff of the, of the goat, the sacrificial goat, the goat bearing the sins, the goat having to die. I mean, talk about someone being made into being a goat who knew no goatness for our sake on the cross with outstretched hands and so on. So he went into his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. This sounds a lot like Abe and Isaac back in the day. Who are you, my son? I mean, that's the big question here. Who do you say that I am? Who are you, my son? Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. So this is deception, right? True to Jacob, Yaakov, one who, who cheats. Isaac says, how can you have found it so quickly, my son? This is beyond belief. Human ability. Remember, human ability, go get your quiver and bow, and I know how long that will take. Something beyond human ability is going on here. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. It wasn't all about my quiver and bow and all the things that you thought. Again, the justification by work stuff. Isaac said, please come near that I may feel you. Notice, he's going by the ear at first, but now he's going by... Uh, and then he questions about, you know, the, the reason or the sense. How fast could this happen? And now he's going by feel or touch to know whether you are really my son. Jacob goes no, goes near. He This is a big confession here. When Jacob goes near, Isaac says, after he feels him, so he goes by that, the voice is Jacob's voice. So if he would have just relied on the hearing as the church of all ages is called to do, he could have stuck with that because everything appears to the contrary in the church. Behold, I am with you. Well, look at the empty pews and look at the financial problems and look at the strife and contention among members and my parishioners, right? Everything to the visual and to the feel, to the other senses, is the opposite. It's only the hearing that match it. Wait, this is Jacob's voice. Here's this reminder about hearing before seeing. Isaac hears correctly, and you could you could bank everything on that. It is Jacob's voice. But the hands are the hands of Esau, so what would you go with? Do you want to go with God's promises, what he's said to you, that I'm with you always? Or do you want to go with what, what it feels like? It feels like pain and affliction and persecution and so on. And when he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau, brother Esau's hands, he blesses them, okay? That's the big business of true church, false church. That's the life in the church, what it should be and what it shouldn't be. He blesses on, on the sense of feel. Are you really my son? He even just still questions. He's not even sure. That's the thing when you go by feel, when you look at the empty pews and you're, and you're going by feel, you're going by sight, you're going by all these other senses except hearing the Lord's word, you don't have any certainty. 
There's no comfort there. There's no comfort in speculation, just thinking, well, this is what it feels like. The feelings are this. This is what my emotions are like. This is what it seems like, and so on. It doesn't last. It, it doesn't bring comfort. It causes only this sort of lingering, festering uncertainty. He answers, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near, and he eats and he brought him wine and he drinks. So he eats and drinks. And you have this, I mean, again, even as this is, I mean, there's deception involved and Jacob isn't perfect and I get it. At the same time, you have these echoes of this is a true ministry bringing forward um, the right meal, a meal that was not done by works and merit on the individual. We have even the mention of bread and wine. Sounds very much familiar, does it not? And... um also a picture of what not to do in Isaac. You go by feel, you go by sense, you go by you go by your belly. He blesses because of the feel, he blesses because of the belly. Okay, even as that eating and drinking is reflective or evocative of a healthy ministry, bring forward the right meal, food that endures unto everlasting life. That continues in a dramatic way with this blessing. So as you probably know, Isaac ends up blessing him. Come near and kiss me. So he comes near, kisses him. Isaac smelled the smell of his garment. You see all the tastes and sen- you see all the, the senses that are involved. Now we have smell. We have the lips and so on. Everything but what? The hearing, right? Um, so he even says that in the blessing. See, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed and and so on. So he says, let everybody serve you. You're going to be Lord over your brothers. This seals the deal. And he even ends with this, cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be everyone who blesses you. This is the fa- this is the blessing of his father. This is Abraham. The promise of Abe lives on and will be transmitted through Jacob. As soon as that happens, when he had scarcely gone out, Esau comes in. He also prepared delicious food. Notice, I mean, before he was not successful. This one apparently he is. He brings it. Eat of my son. Eat of this game that you may bless me. Who are you? I don't recognize you. Did you want to earn this by your merit or worthiness? I don't know who you are. And uh, notice he could have said like, well, it's Esau's voice and so on. But right now at this point we get, who are you? He, uh, he answers, I'm your son, your firstborn. Isaac trembles very violently and said, Who is it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came. I have blessed him, yes, and he shall be blessed. And don't you know the answer to that? As soon as Esau, oh, here it is again, hears the words of his father, he cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, Bless me. Even me also, O oh my father. And Isaac says, Your brother's come deceitfully. He's taken away your blessing. Esau says, is, it, is he not rightly named Jacob? He's cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Now he's taken away my blessing. Do you only have one? Isaac says, I've made him lord over you. Grain and wine and so on. What can I do for you? Do you still have only one, my father? Bless me, even me also. He lifted up his voice and wept. This is a traumatic moment. Esau, in many ways, even as this is going very poorly, 
and the birthright, the ministry, as it were, is pat. The ordination goes to Jacob, the true church transmitted through him, and so on. Esau, boy, the richness. Esau goes through the heartache of what will be experienced by the one to come through that true church. The great and bitter cry and the pain and suffering there, exceedingly great and so on. Um, He's forsaken. He's forsaken and uh, there there are echoes in this, aren't there, of even as there's a son that's unselected, there is in this unselected son a witness to what uh, the one who comes through the true son will have to go through for the sake of Saul, uh, saving both sons. Esau lifts up his voice, weeps. There is still a blessing. I mean, this is amazing. Every time you have this unselected son business in Genesis, there's immediately some way to be grafted in. Um, you're going to serve your brother, but you'll break his yoke from your neck. There will be a, a way to be free from this. And it's consistent with elsewhere in Genesis where there will be a means of salvation even for the unselected. And you get that here, too, in, in Isaac's blessing, uh, the pronouncement, you might say, upon Esau. Now there's hatred. This, the, uh, the seed of the woman will always be hated by the seed of the ser- serpent. The animosity plays itself out in every generation, so also right now in the church. There's this hatred between the true church and the false church. Esau says, I'm going to kill him. Rebecca hears, go and get your bum out of here. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran. This is the, the work of the people. This is the life of the people. The true church is constantly on exile. You just You can't forget this. You can't miss it when you go through Genesis. So he's going to go way up north to Laban. And we'll track that in in coming podcasts. Um, But this is the life. I'll just end it on that note since we're out of time here. This is the life of the church, always in exile, always on the run, always strangers here because heaven is our home. In the midst of that, though, we live by that word. We don't live by all these other senses as we are in exile and wondering how this looks or feels, smells and tastes and so on. We have the true word. We have the true taste in the meal that our Lord has given us to taste and see that he is good. Taste and see this meal. There's where your senses align. Hear this word, taste and see this meal that I've given for you. No matter what you're physically seeing and tasting and smelling and so on, um, as you live um, as strangers here in the meantime. That's the life of the church. That's how we revolve around the promises uh, in Christ his person and work on our behalf. We'll call it there. Thanks for tuning in. Tell your family and friends so that they too can learn more about God's word with us. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org, and clicking on our Contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian German, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you.